This show is brought to you by The Makery, the podcast network for makers. You ready? I'm ready. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Full Blast Podcast. I'm Jeff Fader. And before we get into it with returning champion Leah Arapach, I guess we got to do some business. What are you what are you coating your things with? When I say your things, your hammers, your axes, your 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 things, your wood, your steel, your Damascus, or the stuff in your house, like your kitchen stuff, like your chef knives and your and your steak knives and your and the stuff that needs to be sealed. I think you should use Axe Wax. I've been using Axe Wax for a while now and I love it. And it, if you go to axewax.us and put in promo code fullblast10, you will get 10% off your order. And I'll tell you what I did recently. I recently made uh, a 1084 carbon steel knife that I had to sit out over the weekend, and it was kind of like a wet, damp weekend. I coated the blade in Axe Wax because I wanted to make sure that it wasn't going to potentially patina or rust with the humidity in the room, and it, and it was great, and it, it was really, really good, and it's food safe. So you're not going to be giving anything icky to your customers, or if you're saying to me, Jeff, but I don't even make anything. Okay, well, you got some wood in the house, so you might need a little bit of, you know, you got a wood stuff in your kitchen. Use a little Axe Wax. It's, you don't have to be a maker to buy this stuff. It's great. Put on your leather, put on your shoes, whatever you want. Axewax.us. Once again, guys, thank you for the support. Now, the next thing we have to talk about is we need to talk about your attitude, your attitude towards what your website is. You must see your website as an employee or a friend or someone that's going to help you bring money into your bank account. If you go to akinteractive.com slash full blast and fill up the paperwork, you're going to get 10% off your, your website or... Maybe you already have a website. Maybe you have a website. Just, Jeff, I already have a website. Stop it with me. I say, yeah, but maybe you need a little sprucing up. Andreas Kalani, the golden Kalani, will be your consultant. He'll help you with your logo. He'll help you with your design. He'll give you a little pizzazz. He'll put a little bit of, you know, a little bit of something in your, in your website. And then you're going to be psyched. And then you're going to say, wow, this website's bringing me all this money, and I'm making money in the middle of the night when I'm asleep. Website's working. But I think I'm going to do a, a, a convention. I'm going to need like a tablecloth with all the stuff on it, with all the graphics and stuff. Andreas Kalani will do that too. akinteractive.com slash full blast. He's going, he's a full service. 25 years in graphic design. He's going to get you squared away. Okay. So stop it already. You have the Axe Wax. You have the AK Interactive. Boom. My guest is my personal champion. Metal worker extraordinaire. Sculptor. The sculptor of sculptors, the type of sculptor that when other metal workers look at her work, they say, how the fuck did she do that? Leah Arapach is back, fresh off the TV show Metal Shop Masters, fresh off of a little stint at the Center for Metal Arts. Leah, what's going on? Uh, not too much. <laughs> not too um, much. Well, I guess actually a lot is going on, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um feeling feeling pretty good and uh looking forward to talking to you leah's leah was back here if this is your first time listening to leah go back to in november i had i had a wonderful episode that i still get messages from and it's called montauk's montauk's finest leah arapach and it was her whole you know how she got to where she got the interesting thing about that conversation was after she left the show it was like you did a million things yeah yeah so, i've been busy 
What have you been up to? Well, um, well, actually, I, the, the show we filmed um, last October, so almost a year ago. Um, so huh. it's kind of been a trip. I, I had just gotten back from filming when we spoke last time. Really? Um, yeah. And when, when that orange day was happening, um, I was actually building my avatar in my shop. <laughs> that, this, now, we have to just to back it up a little bit. Yeah. We spoke in November, and you'd already filmed the show in October, and you didn't say a word. You were, you were so good. You were so yeah. good about keeping your mouth shut. I'm shocked. Yeah. <laughs> I would have spilled uh, the beans. I would have I totally I have a big mouth. No, I couldn't do that. I couldn't talk about it. Um, and, uh, you know, it was good to be able to have a big reveal this year. I finally felt like I could, it was like I was holding something in that I was finally able to talk about for the first time. And now, now that it's been released, I can talk about it even more. And that's, you know, I've been kind of rolling it over in my head for a year and not being able to talk about it at all. So, well, Metal Shop Masters is on Netflix, and it just came out. Definitely go check it out. It's a it's a fun show. And what's interesting is, especially, and I wonder what you think in terms of, you know, just since we've, for the first time, spoke in November, mm-hmm. how do you feel your work has changed since you were on Metal Shop Masters? Because I know you went to the, the Center for Metal Arts for a week, and I know that as an artist generally speaking you're constantly evolving these incremental things but a year makes a huge difference in your in in the way you're working how do you see how you are as an artist now compared to back when you were on that show um well i've learned a lot in the year i mean i i always have the goal of learning um as that's part of my art practice that part of my process is you know trying out new things um as i'm building work uh but really i think the biggest thing for me was that was something that was very scary for me to do i was really not um not sure if that was uh something that i would be okay doing um and it was really difficult but when i left i felt this invigoration to like have more adventures that were work oriented and so i feel like that whole experience gave me the courage to reach out to pat quinn and be like hey (laughs) you want to you want to teach me how to forge for a week and uh you know, then go down to Montgomery and work on a monument, which is something I've never done because I think it sort of eliminated this fear of trying new things. And that, I mean, the growth that I experienced from going and learning from Pat for an entire week and uh, working on figurative work in Montgomery for, you know, the first time ever, uh, it's definitely impacting my work. And I think that there's just a, a a backstock of ideas and uh, points of inspiration that I'm, I just have, you know, a lot of work ahead of me to kind of convey it and steal, you know? Yeah. That's, that's something that's, I think that a lot of people, a lot of people don't understand that inspiration isn't just about like seeing things that people are doing that you can be inspired by. It's, it's, it's interesting because 
my life in the knife community is so different than my life when I was doing postgraduate critiques and hanging out with other artists. And it wasn't just like, I wasn't just hanging around with sculptors. I was hanging around with painters and we were talking about art. And it was the inspiration that you get is from these events and these things as opposed, the invigoration is, is from these things that you see as opposed to like things that are like what you're doing. So it, it makes me wonder. So you call up Pat Quinn, you say, and, and tell me what you said. Uh, I, I basically just said, uh, I, I heard you on full blast and like the way you were talking about your approach to educating really made me feel like you would be an excellent, uh, instructor for me like the way that i know i'm i think i'm if i'm good at anything i'm good at learning and finding the right educators and so when i heard him talking about forging and his passion for education it just was like i have to go learn from him because you know i don't i started at zero when i got there and i'm kind of a purist about who I learned from. So I, I felt like he would be the perfect person to introduce me to these techniques that I've been needing to learn. He's a purist. He's the purest of the purists. Yeah. It's, it's, I, you know, the, the, I, I did get a message from him uh, when you went down there. He actually sent me a pair of tongs as thanks because it was, uh, it was a, which was very nice. We had a nice, he and I had a nice conversation. The hardest part about the blacksmithing world is it, it is, it's hard to separate the craft from the art. I, I generally don't see as many like sculptors as blacksmiths as I do when I see what Pat's doing and what the guys from Carbondale have all done. So he says, "All right, come on down. I got a room for you." And then, how does how does the how does the class? Because it's a private class. How does that all work out? Um, well, I think that I when I walked into the room there was this table laid out that Pat had like put all of these um, beautiful sculptures that he had done and different samples from classes. And when I looked at all of the work, I was just blown away by, you know, the incredible craftsmanship and technique. And I just was like, yeah, I'm, I'm in the right place. Like I, I, this is, this is why I'm here. Um, but it was all very mysterious to me. Right. So, you know, throughout the week as we're building skills and Pat is being very um, accommodating to my my learning pace and, you know, the difficulty of trying this, this new everything from the very beginning, um, I'm approaching the table every morning as I go in and I'm looking at the work and it's becoming more and more demystified to me because I'm seeing the actual steps within the pieces. And that is an extremely rewarding thing for me. I mean, I still have the work ahead of me. I still have to build the techniques. I still have to apply what I learned there, which was a lot. I mean, we worked for a week together, so um, I learned a lot. Um, but the the knowledge and my understanding is a lot deeper and i think that that was that was really what i was looking for and i was just i was so happy with my experience and i i loved working with pat i think pat is such a great guy and we just we had a great time you know hmm. that space is so magnificent it's magical it's mad it's a it's an extremely 
special place. And I don't think that I appreciated that until I got there. And because not only am I getting like this incredible introduction to forging, but Pat's passion for the historical significance of that building is incredible. And, and he, he taught me a lot about, um, you know, what Johnstown was and its significance in how America was built. And uh, I'm so grateful. And I think, I think we should, we all kind of owe uh, Pat a debt of um, preserving this important piece of historical, um, well, just this, this beautiful part of history um, for us, because if you work with steel, you should care about this place, you know? Yeah, there is this it, it, blacksmithing in general. It, 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 what it escapes me, what escapes me is the, I mean, I usually refer to it as like societal uh, amnesia. And there's this, the fact that remains that if you go throughout history, the history of the blacksmith, every person who was ever cut down with a sword, every person who had to cut food or had to make something eat or used pans or railings or hardware or every head that was chopped off by an axe or a or a wood was wood was done or anything that was made out of metal was made by blacksmiths you know you think about the 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 gravity of it i mean to the point where it's just like you know you want to really talk you want to go down the down the down the road i mean we want to talk about christ i mean they didn't put him up there with with zip ties you know i mean somebody 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 had to to put it on him you know what i'm saying it was a blacksmith i love that imagery so much it's like i mean come on i mean it's just like let's not let's not cut let's cut the shit here i mean there's this a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of historical significance to the blacksmith and now They, what people see an anvil, they see it coming out of like olive oil's purse. So she's going to knock Bluto, Bluto down with it with a purse, or they see the Roadrunner, or they think that it's, you know, the, the Wiley Coyote's going to launch one from a slingshot. Or it, it, it's there's this there's this incredible lack of of understanding of 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 what we've where we've come from, and and what Pat is doing is he's taking away a lot of he's taking away a lot of the old you know stodgy history and he's kind of reinventing it you know reinventing it but also with not reinventing it like he's trying to you know zhuzh it up he's trying to like show the historical importance and then he's trying to be innovative yeah yeah and i i think that uh where where that seems really prevalent is like you look at the people that are teaching there um and their work like Haley Woodward and and I, I'm not sure if Dan actually teaches there but I mean he obviously is yeah. very he works there um yeah, Dan Neville yeah his work is incredible I mean you have these artists that are doing such brilliant cutting edge art with blacksmith traditional blacksmithing techniques and I do think that the context around the Center for Metal Arts is is truly um, pushing metal art into a, like a, a just a whole nother level. I mean, the the people affiliated with Center for Metal Arts are insanely talented and doing really interesting stuff where they're inventing techniques and using traditional ones to make work that is incredible. What was what was Johnstown like? 
John, <laughs> Johnstown. Well, I was at uh, the housing by myself, um, so it was quiet. I mean, it was. Uh, I was there in March, so it was snowing, which was kind of cool because I, I haven't been in snow for a really long time. Um, but uh, it's it's. And I was also there during COVID, so I'm not really sure. I mean, a lot of stuff was kind of closed down. Um, right. And I noticed a lot of blight there. Like, I think that there's a lot of um, empty buildings and, and whatnot. But um, I think that it's a really fascinating town where you can see the history. And, um, I mean, they have a funicular there, which is really rad. Right. <laughs> I think that's the coolest thing ever. Um but yeah, I mean, you can you can go up to the top where the funicular lands and you can look down into the valley and see the entire city and um and understand, you know, how that applies geographically to its history and the floods and, you know, the steel the steel mill being basically the heart of the city and uh yeah, I mean, it's an, it's definitely an interesting place for sure. Speaking of the funicular, I'm actually going to be teaching a class there in terms of like how, you know, just to let you know, Pat interviewed me. I had to write, I had to write a lot of stuff down and then <laughs> he bet. interviewed me. He knew me yeah. too. He knew me. I mean, I thought, I thought maybe, I thought, the, you know, the, I thought I had already greased enough palms in this situation. <laughs> I thought I wasn't going to have to go through all the rigmarole. He, he put me through it. He yeah. put me through it. And we came up with this really cool idea where I'm going to do these friction folders that are very about the forge technique of the actual lever, like the lever of it. And it's like the, the, the forge part of the aspect of the friction folder isn't just about the knife. It's more about the connection. And I've been doing them with these New York City subway tokens. And the subway tokens, the, my favorite ones have this pentagram hole in the middle. And the pentagram represented the five boroughs of Manhattan. And it was mm -hmm. just... But it, the hole was the perfect size to be a, to be like a washer. So when I talked to him about it, he goes, you know what, we have this funicular with um, tokens, and there's a hole in the middle. And he sent me some, and we're going to use the, the Johnstown funicular tokens. I think it's the funicular, unless they get a subway that I don't know about. No, but, it's funicular. But, I mean, <laughs> but, so that we're going to use those tokens as the washers so it has a relationship to Johnstown, the friction folder. So That's I, such an awesome idea. I love that so we, much. We got lucky because, I mean, he's a very thoughtful guy. And, and I got to yeah. say that in regards to what you were saying in, in the history of you know blacksmithing and the history of, of what he's doing in the United States— He's very, very thoughtful, and he's yeah. very thoughtful, and, and he understands the importance of what he's doing. He understands the importance of the teachers. He didn't like one of my—I sent a picture that for, for the cover or for, for my uh, ID. He didn't like it, so he had me to send me another one. I was like, okay, no problem. I sent him five more. <laughs> yeah. Whatever you want, Pat. I don't, whatever yep. you want. He, yep. He's—I appreciate everything that he has done for the blacksmithing community, and it'll be really—I'm really looking forward to seeing what he does in the future. What were some of the things that you were making while you were there? Well, uh, I I think that Pat expected me to be moving a little quicker. Like, I, I, I don't think he m maybe knew that I, like, really was coming in with zero. So we spent a lot of time working on tapers. And that is uh, – that's great because – 
uh, I use tapers constantly in yeah, my work. It's a, it's basically the one thing that I'm using to. It's the one way in which I'm manipulating mass at this point in my um, in my shop. And then we started experimenting with different dyes and uh, manipulating mass in different ways. And that was super fun. And then we kind of took all of the techniques that he had shown me throughout the week and built a little sculpture, um, incorporating all of those things and sort of just instantaneously applying them in a way that was very, uh, relatable to me because I'm a sculptor, um, and made a fun little monster. Uh, yeah. And it, yeah, I, I feel like I haven't even begun to um, utilize a lot of the techniques I, I learned while I was there. And part of that is, like, we got a hammer. I, I, I need a new hammer, um, and that's part of it, like, needing dies and all of the things that you can access at the Center for Metal Arts that I most definitely do not have in my shop. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, we played. We played with steel and that was that's everything to me you know if you don't know if you're listening to this and you don't know leah's work shame on you number two you (laughs) need to listen to the first episode and then it explains but in my mind that's what i was thinking is you know the the work that you do it's it's very botanical Mm -hmm. there's a lot of like botanical is not a bad word biological these flowers these a lot of orchids with these with teeth in them and they're they're this it's a they're very they're very beautiful but there's that there's so many tendrils and all i could think of as soon as you said tapers was like all right that's right in your wheelhouse yep (laughs) is that something that can be really useful to what you're doing yeah and i think that before i went there i was just kind of flailing and like you know i i I can i know how to smush something so that it like is smaller on one end but to learn the actual techniques of how you work that material on a power hammer so that you are drawing that out with the absolute height of control is something that I didn't have until I went there. And now I can draw out any taper to whatever length I want, and it's the right diameter at one size side and the right diameter at the other, and that is, that's everything, you know? Because hmm. I used to have to accept the results right. <laughs> that right. I got, you know, and kind of go with it. Um, so... Uh, be, being able to gain that control was kind of everything for me because that is such a um, important element of, you know, a taper is a is a big building block for me in my work for sure. Volume volume control is tricky. All that mass and volume and trying yeah. to figure out what leads to what and how you get where you need to be it's it's really hard. Yeah, it is. Um, and you know, I'm I'm over there struggling with tapers and Pat is like contemplating how to turn a giant mass of steel into like a um, stake anvil and like showing me the mathematics involved and like all of the contemplation and you know things he needs to consider and I just I find it so fascinating um I mean there's just it I think that something that was really cool about my experience there too was yeah I got I got some information that I really needed out of it but I I also just saw immense potential if I 
keep on this pathway and keep trying to learn, you know, cause I, it, it's not easy being new at something like right. I'm, I, you know, I could have just stuck with fabrication and, you know, stayed in my lane. But I, I think part of, yeah, like I was saying before, like it's, it's really satisfying for me to have these daily revelations and to be new at something. It's hard, but it's also, it's really awesome. And so seeing the potential of how mass can be manipulated by looking at some of the things that Pat's working on is like, wow, you know, there, there's so much you can do with this material that I just, I didn't know was possible. I would imagine, especially kind of looking at the work that the people, the, your, the, your, I don't know, you call them contestants, you call them co, co you don't call them co-workers when you're on the I, Metal I call Shop them friends Masters. now. You're friends now, but <laughs> yeah, when you're on yeah, there, it's yeah. like you're, I guess you'd call them co-contestants on Metal Shop Masters. We call yeah. them, we call them co-workers? Oh, you know uh, what, fuck it, I'm going to call them co-workers because I'm like, you're there for like a couple days. Yeah, I mean, you guys yeah. are like working alongside each other, you're co-workers. Yeah, sure, sure. So your co-workers, one of the things that was fascinating to me, especially considering, you know, I personally believe that forging blacksmithing in in and of itself is closer to being a sculptor than that you know fabricating with found objects and stuff because yeah. you're actually manipulating the material and kind of making it your own when i see your work your work is so flawless and i know that chris cash and when you were on with chris cash and roy on um the Axe and Iron podcast, they were talking about how they felt like you were, and also Chris Epp and all those guys were talking about how your work is so clean that it looks cast. And yeah. one of the things about that means is you're very, you're taking the material and then you're making it your own to the point where it almost doesn't even matter that it's steel. Like it could be, yeah. it could be anything. It becomes less steel and more sculpture and more about the sculpture and what you're saying. So I would think that it, that time in Johnstown, the Center for Metal Arts, was in line with what you're doing, but also it has to help you think about how you're going to, you know, work on your future projects. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that that's something that a lot of, I, I, I'm sure all metal artists struggle with this, this sort of existential, like, I'm a sculptor, and I'm also working in this craft and they're kind of separate, you know, like I think that in a lot of other, um, well, I guess that's the same with, you know, painting, like there's house painters and then there's like people that are painting, you know, paintings. Um, but it, it, you kind of have to walk a fine line where you don't get too romanticized about one or the other, because if you lose balance, it's, uh, it can be really difficult to to create something good out of that. And I think that, uh, I think we all kind of struggle with like maintaining that balance and, you know, trying to push yourself technically, but also remembering that like at the end of the day, you're making a sculpture, you know what I mean? Like it has to be a good sculpture. It has to be a good composition. Like your, your fabrication skills don't matter if it's a shitty composition, you know? So here's the here's the question. Just mm -hmm. here's the question is, so then why is metal artist? Why does the metal have to be in there? 
This is something I struggled with for years because I called myself a steel sculptor out of college and I felt like it was a loaded thing to say, but it got to the point where I was just like, does it really matter that I use steel or not? What does that, does it mean that that's all I am supposed to use? It's interesting because it is like what you were talking about when you said, I was thinking about what you were saying before, you know, their house painters and their watercolors or other painters, they kind of don't live in the same world. It's a different mm -hmm. situation. But why does the metal part, why is the metal part important? I'm not trying I'm, to trick you I, up here. I mean, it's just no, like, it is no. one of those I things mean, that I've always wondered. I, well, I think that like, actually for me on the show, uh, when it, when it, like, as it pertains to the show, I think that I kind of walked away being like, I think I'm a little bit more, I, th I think I'm a little bit more comfortable kind of letting go of the, the metal identity of my sculpture. Like, you know, like it doesn't, it, it's what I happen to enjoy doing. Right. Um, and it, it's the media that I really like working with. Aside from that, you know, I, I don't know that it's necessarily wrapped up in my concepts, you right. know, um, except for the fact that like, you know, I, a lot of my work, most of my work is, a, is kind of a deep sort of appearing into my subconscious and, you know, being a control freak or, or needing control or wanting control is, you know, if you're, if you're manipulating steel in in the way that i am like i i think that 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 says a lot about how much i need control or want control you know what i mean yeah. um it's not as fragile no no um and yeah there's there's definitely qualities of steel i like how it's cold i like how it's 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 not supposed to feel alive and when you it, it, yeah i mean there's there's a lot there but um yeah i, I don't i mean I'm, I guess I'm not really sure. Do you mean like as an identity? Um, I'll give you an or... example. I went to college. We had, in 1992, there, the only person I ever saw weld was Mr. T in the A-Team. That was it. <laughs> the TV show, the A-Team, Mr. T, and we, that was it. So when I first started welding, it was because there was too long of a line at the bandsaw. And <laughs> my friend Dan Levine said, hey, kid, don't wait for glue to dry. Come over here, and I'll show you how to weld. That was like the spark that really kind of got me into it. I was just like, I don't want to wait for glue to dry anymore. And this is awesome. And no one else wants to do it because they're too afraid. Yeah. And I focused on the steel part, the weld, MIG welding and plasma cutting and oxyacetylene and all that because it was convenient at the time. And then when I got out of college, when I got out of college, I was identical. When I was going to, we were going to parties and I was introducing myself as a steel sculptor. And the yeah. reason why is I happen to be working with steel, but I also was working with wood. But it was like this, it was almost like this loaded ego thing too, because mm -hmm. all of a sudden you go, you go to a party in, in, you know, 1996 in Manhattan in the Lower East Side or whatever, and you introduce yourself as an artist. Everyone's just like, yeah, no kidding. You know, every, we're all artists. Yeah. But then when you go say, I'm a steel sculptor, they're just like, tell me more. Yeah. So there's, there's already this, you know, working class connotation to it where you're working with your hands you're not afraid of getting dirty you're not afraid of getting your fingers burnt you're already picturing sparks and stuff like that you're almost like you're almost your own you know pr department when you refer to yourself as a metal artist or a steel mm -hmm. sculptor and it got to the point where when i started doing other things and i was it was almost like it was almost like you know, natural, second nature for me to say, yeah, I'm a steel sculptor. Cause, cause then I also didn't want people to think that I'm like chipping away at a piece of granite all the time, you know? Yeah. Um, but it realized that after a while, it was just like, it was clear to me that I was saying it just to say it, you know? And it was, yeah, it wasn't sure. really like, it really didn't matter in regards to the work that I was doing. 
Yeah. Um, I, I, I totally feel you on that. Like, I, I think that, um, it used to be more important for me to identify as a metal fabrication sculptor. And I felt like that, I mean, it was a point of pride for me, but it was also about right. like being, you know, if, if somebody's asking you what you do, why not put metal in front of it? That gives a bigger picture of what you're talking about right, right. like yeah. i'm not i'm not like sitting in my well i mean i do sit in my house and make clay sculptures but they're just models and then i go into my freeze my freezing disgusting shop and i grind it out you know what i mean and that's uh i mean i think that it gives a a, a bigger picture about your experience and and what you're making you know and and how you're doing it it is a clear, it is a clear, it gives people, I was being, I mean, at the time I was arrogant. I was very arrogant about it. You know, you know, this like 20, 22 year old young guy with a Brooklyn studio and just like, you know, making, you know, it was like, it was, it was obnoxious, to be honest with you. And for, in regards to me, I, it took me a long time before I was like, just don't, I don't even know what the hell. And then all of a sudden I started working at the Center for Metal Arts back in the day. And yeah. then I'm coming back telling my wife, what are we putting on my W-2? I'm putting on blacksmith. And she's like, you're putting on blacksmith on your W-2? When we file your paperwork, you're, you're, you're blacksmith? I said, you know, she said, you don't have an old beard. You're not an old man with a beard. Mm. And I was like, well, you know, this is, this is kind of, it, 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 it's once again, it becomes a more interesting, a more interesting thing to tell people too. Um, yeah. But I think that like as artists too, like our, I think we go through many existential, uh, well, I, I mean, I, I can speak for myself, many existential crises. And like, I've identified as many different things over my, um, my trajectory as an artist already. Like I started as a painter and almost didn't start sculpting because I was like, I am a painter. And they were like, yeah. no, you're a sculptor. <laughs> you know, like they were able to convince me that I was, I was wrong. And, uh, um, I'm so glad they did. And I think that, uh, you know, you get to, there, there's a reality of being in the shop and picking up these different techniques and putting them in your tool bag. And then there's the, there's always the question of what am I, you know, am I a welder? Am I a blacksmith? I mean, I'm definitely not a blacksmith, uh, but am I a metalsmith? Am I, am I a welder? Am I an artist? Am I a sculptor? I mean, I'm kind of all of those things. Uh, but you know, I don't necessarily feel comfortable calling myself all of those things yeah. i don't know i don't know it's complicated Listen, it is complicated and the older i get the less i want to you know identify as anything because it's yeah. like to me it's just like does it does it even matter like i'm now i'm you know i'm around in third on 47 and i'm 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 at the point where i'm just i'm, I'm saying to myself i don't really give a fuck anymore you know i don't yeah. even, who cares yeah. <laughs> who cares what i do yeah. who cares what i do you know it's like it doesn't really matter anymore, and 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 it is interesting because I don't feel the need to say I'm a blade. You know, but that's the funny thing is, is I also have to, you know, for I get involved with these videos or these companies, and all of a sudden I have to like, you know, you have to upsell a little bit, and you're just like, I'm a bladesmith and I'm a knife maker, and, I'm a and honestly, when it comes down to it, does it even matter? You know? Well, I think yeah, no, I mean, like I I I totally agree with you that. Like, as I'm getting older, I don't give a shit either. But at the same time, as humans, like, we really rely on names as, like, a means of communication. You know what I mean? So right. there is some level of, like, being forced to identify as something, you know? So let's just back up a little bit. Who contacts you for this TV show? I got, I got contacted by a casting director um, for the show. 
And then they just, and then they said, they sent you an email saying, we've seen your work and what did they, how did they approach you? Yeah, I, I think I actually got approached through Instagram, um, to be honest. And yeah. they sent me an email maybe right after that when they like did a little bit of deeper digging and found my website and email address. But uh, yeah, they were, uh, they were saying they're making this metal art show and um, they thought I'd be a good fit. And was I interested? And I was like, yeah, I mean, I'm, you know, as an artist, I mean, I, I at this point, I have a lot of friends that have gone on reality TV shows and are like, oh, don't do it. Really? But like, yeah, of course. Um, but like, I mean, not a ton of friends, but I mean, like one of my friends has been on Top Chef. Like, you know, I've had friends on Forged and Fire, like, you know, um, but uh, I'm inherently curious. So like, I have to find out for myself, really? <laughs> you know, like, yeah, like it doesn't matter if people were like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if you're going to be a good fit for that. Like, I don't, I don't know if you're like knowing you, I don't know if you're going to be happy in that environment. And, uh, I was like, well, you know, what's the worst that can happen? They sent me home and I don't have to be in that environment anymore. Like, you know, it's fine. That's a very brave, that's a very brave stance. I wasn't always brave throughout it. Like it was a, I mean, and, and to be like, they, they reached out to us in the beginning of 2020 and then, you know, things got backburnered and this was looming over me and I had to think about it a lot and, you know, was really reticent to do it. Um, when it came time to finding out like, Oh yeah, you know, you're, you're moving to the next phase. But like, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't want to I don't want to misrepresent myself as always being brave. I mean, I probably drove my husband, Frank, crazy with like contemplating whether or not like this was the right fit for me, you know. But in the end, I was like, I, there's only one way to find out. But you did it regardless of yeah. bitching and moaning. You did it. I mean, I would have yeah. my wife. Would have, I've been I've been exactly the same. My wife would have been like, oh, would you please shut up and just get on the plane and go? It's, it's enough. We don't care. And nobody wants to. I would have been the same way. I would have been like, oh, this is a huge <laughs> mistake. I should have done this or maybe I should do this or I got to win or it's. Yeah. It, but it is it is, you know, the fact that it was it, there wasn't something there wasn't something that you could see. Like we have friends who have been on Forge and Fire and, mm -hmm. the, you know, it's been around for a long time. This is the first inkling of what it's there's no yes. you know there's no history of what it is so you don't have an idea of what what's going to happen yeah and that was uh that was both difficult and making my decision easier in ways like yeah so yes it's an unknown quantity and i don't like that like that's threatening to me and um i'm gonna avoid that typically but like at the same time uh, to be on the first first season of a show, like you get recruited for that, you know. Then they then they have people apply. I guess people get reached out to. I I don't know, but like, um, it was hard to not have a reference to yeah. understand what it was going to be and what it was going to look like. And you have to put a lot of trust into people you don't know and their producers in Hollywood. And I think that that was really difficult for me, but I also think that like, I know, you know, I'm constantly working on myself and my issues and like, I know I need to do that. I know I need to trust people that I don't know. I know that I need to take leaps of faith and, um, and, and not let it destroy me if it doesn't work out. You know, and I think that that was something that I really got out of this. How did they, how did they describe the show to you? How did you, what did you, what was your opinion of what it was going to be like based on what they were saying? <laughs> um, it was, uh, it was 
my understanding was that it was going to be a fine art metal sculpture show um, where we were competing against one another to build sculptures um, and sometimes maybe furniture. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, and I was pretty insistent about like not having um, mechanical knowledge. Like I, I think that that's something that um, it, it's not, I don't, I, I wouldn't necessarily call it an insecurity of mine, but I feel like that kind of sets me apart from a lot of other metal artists because um, um, a lot of people choose to fix their own equipment or they right. also are really right. passionate about motorcycles and they know how to change their own oil. And I'm not like that. Like I am an artist that's like, I, I don't know how to fix this thing. Like, you Me know too. what I mean? Like, I don't know. And I'm, and, and the reason I will never be good at it is because I'm not curious about it and I'm not passionate about it and that's okay. But it was one of those things where I was like, you guys, I don't know how to fix things. Like, I don't know how to build things like that. Like I, I'm, I'm, I'm a sculptor, you know? And, uh, and so there was just absolutely no way I was ever going to win this competition. <laughs> No matter you, what. You know, I was only laughing because I'm the same boat. Like, I have <laughs> never been, like, I can, I do things out of spite. Like, I do things because I have no choice. But it's yeah. not like, I'm not like Cliff Dufton who can fix anything. You know, yeah. that, I am, I'm exactly the same way. Like, I can do a little bit of problem solving, but please, I mean, I'm begging you. To, I, I can't, I can't, I had, the only reason why I have a tire hammer was because I felt that if I had gotten, like, a cast iron, a uh, little giant that I could couldn't repair by myself that yeah. I was stunk I was I was I was sunk and I got this tire hammer because all the parts are very easy to replace and I can weld so that's the the number one reason why I got it so I could fix it myself at not because I want to but because out of like necessity it's interesting yeah. because it's interesting because I liked watching the show very much. I, number one, we were all, and when I say we, it's this whole maker community, everyone who's listening to this show, and it's a lot of them, we're all pulling for you because we are on the, 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 Leah, Arapach, the Leah Arapach train. We are on that train. We're all yeah. like, we are on that train. So what was it like, number one, what was it like, I mean, where did you have to, where were they filming it? They're filming in L.A., um and and yeah i mean this was like in the the height of covid so what was that like it was really it was really weird i mean la was having a really they were kind of popping off with their cases at the time and so i i remember being you know because i i really you know i'm i'm just i'm a sensitive artist like this was a very scary situation for me but something i felt like i had to do for a lot of different reasons but you know i'm i'm psyching myself up to get on the plane and then you get there and then they're like, okay, go sit in your hotel room and somebody's going to come test you. And then you're going to quarantine in here for several days before we start filming. So like all of that, like amped up energy, just like completely deflated while you're sitting there, just driving yourself crazy for, I think it was like three days. Like just, there's nothing you can do to prepare for what's about to happen. And there's nothing you can do to understand what's about to happen. You know, this is pre, this is pre vaccines. Yeah, you're, in, you're yeah. doing you're doing rapid tests. Mm-hmm. 
they put you in a room for three days to quarantine. What the hell did you do for three days? Watch TV? Yeah, I watched Netflix. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, yeah. Whoa, oh my god, boy, they yeah. happy. They gave you. They gave you the free pass. They give you the free pass <laughs> to Netflix. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was. You know, I kept. I think that I'm. 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 I'm an anxious person, so you know, they they keep bringing you food and stuff, and it's just like I was like talking to the guy because we have people that are. They're, I, I guess, for lack of a better word, like handlers, like they usher yeah. us around and they bring us our food and they are, you know, sort of supervising us and they're there if we need them for anything and they're just really wonderful and kind. And um, But I kept being like, what's going, what do you need me to do? And they were like, we just need you to sit here and do nothing. And I was like, all right, I don't know how to do that. That's like, crazy. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. So you, you never left your room for the three days? You get to walk around outside at all? Um, no, I was, I was allowed to, um, we were not allowed to leave the hotel because you're quarantining. So like, you know, what's the point of doing the test if you're going to go out into the world and start getting exposed to people anyways? Um, yeah. So like we could go up to the lobby and get our breakfast, but, um, other than that, they wanted us to just stay in our rooms. That's, that is unbelievable. That's, I mean, that's amazing to me, but I mean, at the same time, I didn't, you know, I'm, I'm basically quarantined all the time anyway. I don't really yeah. see anybody anyway, but so one of the things that was interesting is, is and I'm, we're not going to give spoiler. We're, we talked beforehand and we're going to try not to give any spoilers just because yeah. I hate it when people, I used mm-hmm. to listen to this podcast. What was it called? The fighter and the kid. And this douchebag, Brendan shop, actually he's not a douchebag. He's actually very good at what he does. <laughs> he gave the spoiler to a star Wars movie that I was kind of going to want to go to see, but then yeah. I was just like, eh, nah, I don't need to see it now. It was, but it was like, it was so callous how he mm-hmm. did. It. I was just like, I don't want to be that guy. And then my buddy Nico, who was on the fucking Joker movie, he, sh- he, he told me, he read me the script before they even started filming. I'm like, I can't see the damn movie now. So I hate spoiling. So we're not going to do any spoiling. We're not going to say what happened. But in the first, the first episode is, so they get, you know, all your, you know, seven coworkers and you're, you get into a room and they gave you, they gave you instructions to build this sculpture for the first episode. And that you were to do some of the fabrication. Well, why don't you explain it? Before the show starts, before you get there, they give you a project to do at home, right? right? Yeah, and that was um, that was a surprise. Uh, I don't I don't think any of us knew that we were going to be starting before we even got there. Um, and base so basically, like we could um, we got a budget for for materials, and then you acquire your materials, and you know you um, can form, forge, cast, um, you know do what you got to do to manipulate the metal but you cannot weld it together until you get there no so, welding no welding but carving drilling you know any any way that you can which is kind of an interesting thing to think about you know um to for me to be kind of building a sculpture uh that's not really how i roll like i don't yeah. like tack the whole thing together like i i work on one piece at a time because if i don't i'll just eventually weld myself into a corner where i can't get in there you know um yeah. so that was a that was a trip to to work in that way and so you're not only designing a piece but you're trying to make sure that everything you're doing is going to be able to get welded and fab like fabric fully fabricated within 10 hours when you get there you know and and what was the what was the the guy what did they want you to do i mean what was the uh, 
for lack of a better term, what's the, what was the assignment? So we were supposed to build an avatar, um, which I think that I just immediately interpreted as like a self-portrait because <laughs> I'm like, this is a fine art show. And like, I think they mean self-portrait. And I, I, I don't know. I, um, But yeah, so we were supposed to build an avatar to kind of show who we were um, and it needed to be kinetic. Was that was that was the kinetic part? Like, did they give you size restrictions? Did they tell you give you any other information other than than that? Or um, well, I mean, it def there was definitely a lot of rules and um, you and a to, lot of I, like Q and A. Also, um, just for the listener, I also have to like be, I want to be real careful with with Leah. Obviously, I don't want to get her any, any trouble with <laughs> Netflix. So, you know, if any questions are are a little bit too you know close to the bone, you know, push me away. You know, please. I, it was it was when I watched the show uh, Metal Shop Masters on Netflix and guys stop the shop the show watch the show it's good for it's 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 good for the our community and we'll talk about that later but it's great for Leah because she's awesome on it it's oh, it was you. that the first episode was probably my favorite because yeah. there were there was the most amount of spills and chills and like tense moments i thought in the first episode yeah i i, <laughs> I mean I, there are definitely more tense episodes in my in my opinion but uh yeah I, I thought the the cool thing about the first one was that you it it was my introduction to six different artists that i had never met before and hadn't seen their work and it was like you could just see the personalities arising in the room as the sculptures were getting built. And I thought that that was super rad, you know? It was a, it was a very interesting space because if you watch the first episode, it's this vast, like a, like a, a factory floor and every single person had a station and there were like, you know, like screens all over the place. So you wouldn't get, yeah. I mean, I'm surprised there's not like, I'm surprised the, the co -ho, the, ho the host, uh, Joe Coy didn't get like welding blindness at any point in the, in the show because it was like <laughs> Mig Welders yeah. and Tig Welders going on yeah. every five minutes and he's just open his eyes open smiling. I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> you're going to wake up with those scratchy eyes in the middle of the night, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then uh, the, you, there were two other judges. So it was Joe Coy, who was a comedian, famous. He's a very well, he's a world-renowned, uh, well-known comedian. And then there were two other judges, Stephanie Hoffman, mm -hmm. who is who works with the American Welding Society. Right. She has her own uh, welding shop somewhere, but she's she's a she's a very interesting character. Did a lot of research on her, and she's a fascinating person um, with who she is. And then you had uh, David. Madura, right? Madura? Madero. Madera. Yeah. What what were they like? What is David who tell me about David because in the in the you know you know you're in the you're in the the trailer where you or you say he's my hero. Yeah. It's like they what did you know him beforehand? Yeah, or? yeah, I had followed I've I've been following David's work for years and uh you know, I I think he's I think he's a brilliant artist. Um and he's made some really interesting pieces. He's made some really high profile pieces. I mean, he built really? a sculpture for the president of Mexico at one wow. point. Yeah. I mean, and I think that the, one of my favorite things about his work is his ability to let the steel be the steel. And I think that he gets this really interesting result by sort of being a bit Zen about it, you know? Um, and 
as so yeah i mean i, I he's a he's a wonderful metal sculptor go check out his work for sure um and as far as what they were like, I mean, you're not really interacting with them all that much. Right. Like they are intentionally being kept separate so that they're not developing a closer relationship with one person than another, you know, right. like they want to keep it as equitable as possible. So, um, you know, I really only had a few experiences with them um, of which like you actually see on the show, you know. When you when they bring you out, they say, okay, this is the first day of shooting. They they just how do they prepare you? For, I mean, I'm in my mind, I'm thinking, all right, you're you're, you're quarantined in your hotel room. How do they bring you out? This okay now today's the they tell you okay in four days we're going to be starting the filming. Here's what you need to do. How do they do it? Um. Well, you know, I think these these people are they've made lots of shows maybe not a metal show but you know a lot of reality tv shows so it, it it's kind of a systematized situation for them um where we were just we met in the lobby of the hotel room and were driven over to the shop and um walked into the space and there's like there's hundreds of people in there because it's, it's a whole crew of people that it takes so many people to make a show. And I was, it was shocking because it was like, I'm coming from being sequestered in a room by myself for several days. And now I'm in a room with more people than I've been in a room with for almost a year, you know? And, uh, that was pretty wild, but you know, they've got their, they've got their schedule, they've got their routine, they've got their techniques. And, um, you know, we were, I, I think you're in a unique position as a contestant because they're not trying to give you too much information. Um, so, I, I, you know, as far as behind the scenes, I mean, we're often in a room. You know, if we're yeah. not on the if we're not on the shop floor, we're in a room. Um, and yeah, so I, I don't really know. <laughs> was there was there like preparation, like you know, like talk to the camera or like how how do they? I, don't, I just don't understand how they prep people. To be, who have never been on TV before to be on TV because oh, you guys all seem all of you seem very camera prepared especially that uh, that guy who looks like Liv Shriver I mean that guy <laughs> is like the guy Ivan like, Ivan yeah. Liv Shriver Jr. He, yeah he's like I mean he, he that guy is like perfect that guy is a per yeah. I mean it's like he's it's really like, like that in person I, too he's, he's wonderful. I, I watched. I looked at his Instagram, and he's just like that. He's yep. he's like, all right, welcome. How here you go, Sunday. It's I'm gonna play a song. He brings out the guitar with his rope, yeah. and he starts playing his song. He's like, yeah. I wanted to tell you something about Cherry Pits. And he shows you how to grow cherry trees. You're so right. Yeah, I he's mean, like, he really is like that in person. Hey, it's amazing. Hey, everybody. It's, I just want to show you how it is over here. You know, he was awesome, but yeah. he was just like, how do you get to be a person like that? How do you get to be this, like, character like this? And how do you go from, like, being this, like, you know, metal artist to, like, being prepared to be on TV? Well, I think that Ivan is kind of superhuman. I mean, he's... Um... Well, he's just a brilliant man. Like, yeah. there, I, I was... Watching him go on the show was just, like he knows everything about everything. I, yeah. I mean, he's just, he's brilliant. So, um, and yeah, I mean, he just has a truly unique personality and they, I think, recognize not only his talents, which are immense, but also that he has such a great personality. He would add so much to the show, you know? Oh yeah. Um, I, like 
as far as like preparing us to be camera ready, I, I don't really remember being prepped on that. Like we kind of just walked into the shop and like, they were like, go. And you just start to learn as you go, um, learn how to be around, like surrounded by cameras. Um, and you're trying to be careful about not shooting your sparks like right into their super expensive lens. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, there I, there wasn't a lot of preparation. I think that that's that's intentional. Like they just they want you to kind of get thrown in to the deep end and sink or swim. You know, you're not there to be there. You're not there to have them hold your hand necessarily, and they can't really guide anyone with preferential treatment. So like you know, everyone's they they kind of just let you all come in at the same time and learn as you go. You know. When they brought you in, for finally three days in your room, you get in the van, you you get onto the set. Are you nervous? Are you yeah. excited? Are you terrified? Are you fr afraid that you're gonna like? In my mind, I'm already seeing those kind of white sparkles of like I'm about to pass out. You know, it's like I was. Yeah. I would have been like, I can't handle this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it. I was. I was. 100% out of my element and certainly felt out of my depth too. I mean, I think I was a little bit more nervous after seeing the talent in the room, you know? Um, and uh, you're standing there in front of David Madero and it's just like, wow, this is, this is actually happening. And I, I am about to have to build that fucking sculpture <laughs> that I've been like, you know, putting off in my brain, you know, like you don't have to execute it. You don't have to execute it. And then all of a sudden it's like, go, you need to execute that in 10 hours. And it's just like, you know, you're the only thing that's comforting in that moment is that you're in it with six other people and they're, we're all in the same boat, right. you know? And um, I think that that was something that the producers found really interesting because there was so much camaraderie between all of us on the set. And uh, they just, they, I think one producer at one point was like, I've just never seen the contestants care for each other in that way. It's, it, it was wild, you know? It's so. so interesting that you say that because I watched the whole season. I enjoyed the show on a number of reasons. We'll talk about that. One of the things that I did notice and I was told was the judges were getting a lot of heat on Twitter. They were getting beat up for being bullies. Yeah. And I started to think about it. I started to think about it. And all I could come up with was because as contestants, none of you were heels. None of you were talking shit. None of you were like conspiring. Yeah. None of you were trying to be assholes. None of you were trying to give the 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 producers what they wanted, which was like yeah. heal. And you guys yeah. were all like very loving. And it was like there was one moment in one of the episodes where everyone got the save or something like that. And they all the all four of these people who want them gonna get kicked off, they're all hugging. Like they, yeah. they're like we're we're still all together. Oh yeah. You, got, you guys put the producers in this position of making the judges the heels. Yeah, I I I, I agree. I mean I, I think that um well, you know, when we all the first day that we were let out of our hotel rooms and met in the lobby, it was immediately a family. Right. Like the seven of us were bonded and will probably be forever intertwined with each other because of our appearance on the show, you know? And there was never a moment where anyone was wishing um, anyone else to struggle or suffer through this situation. And I, I do think 
um, that the judges were put in a pretty difficult position. I mean, I, I think that like after the first avatar, after the first build, it's like, I don't know how, like, I, I remember being like, I'm, I, I don't envy them. This is a difficult job. Like, yeah. I, I feel like you're judging apples against oranges, against bananas, against pineapples. Like we're all so different and have different weird interpretations of the rules and the challenge. And I, I mean, you know, it's, you're, you're, ta you're dealing with artists <laughs> and, and, you know, it, it was just, I think a challenging situation for them, you know? There were a number of episodes where any of the decisions could have gone almost either way. Yeah. Like, yeah. especially towards the end where mm -hmm. it was like, it was some tough, it was some tough decisions to be made. There were really, yeah. I mean, everybody, every, every single one of the, the, the contestants were very talented and yeah. it was very, that made it far more interesting. But I wonder if you guys were close because, because it's COVID because you all went through the same quarantine, you all or, or in the same room, different rooms, but going through the same mental struggles, and then you all went through. Maybe that was the bond that made you guys feel. I mean, and the fact that it's a, it's an unknown show. No one's there's no bad. You know, it's not like Fortune Fire where you've seen it. You know, all the different seasons. You know what's going to happen, and you know, okay, I got to be this guy. I got to be that guy. And there is this more of a bond because, for I would think of maybe both. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. Like the, the fact that we all went through this very unique and unusual experience together at the same time in the same circumstances, um, makes us have a very unique empathy for one another, you know? Yeah. Cause I mean, COVID in general has made, especially back in October, even September, yeah. October, it was like, that was when it really started to rage. I mean, yeah. you know, and and I would imagine in California especially, but like the fact that you're away from people for so long and then you go through all these hurdles to be with people for so long, you ultimately have this unconscious connection with them because you've all gone through this weird situation at the same time. Yeah, and I mean, I think that uh a lot of us were concerned that perhaps we lacked the emotional fortitude to be there at that time. Right. You know, it was not an easy time in America. There was a lot of <laughs> loss and a lot of pain. And those were things that we had to carry into the show with and be strong, not only for America and what's going on around us, but, you know, then we have to be in this competition and we have to, you know, do our best. And I think that we were, also all kind of socially atrophied and it was just you know it was weird yeah. it was a trip it was strange and you're all you're all you know artists who are expressing themselves and being vulnerable that's what an yeah. artist really truly is someone who's allowing themselves to be vulnerable and you're allowing yourself to be vulnerable on a tv show on a on netflix yeah. which is like totally counterintuitive to what you would normally be vulnerable to you know yeah, and I think that um, these are these are things that I struggle with, right? Like I, I'm I'm aware through my own like personal um, exploration of you know, or, or or I guess my 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 path to becoming a better person. Like I know that I need to become more comfortable with being vulnerable. Yeah. I know that I need to learn how to trust people, even if I if I don't understand the unknown quantities, I, I know that I need to take risks um, and, and relinquish control 
And so for so many reasons, this was a very therapeutic, I mean, difficult, painful, hard, but like also a, uh, like a, a strengthening experience for me where I came out of it and it didn't destroy me. And it was like, wow, now I feel like I can go do anything, you know? I give you so much more credit than, than most people. I actually, you know what, I give your whole, your, all your co, you and your coworkers yeah. all the credit, but you especially, because I couldn't, I'm especially going through what we're going through, this uncertainty of the times, to be able to say, okay, I'll get on the plane and hang out with Joe Coy, and then he can make some jokes about sparks and stuff like that. It's like, it's far more, and, and when you're watching it now, you take away that time when you were filming. There's no people wearing masks. There's no COVID. You don't even, the word COVID yeah. doesn't even come up. So it makes it even, you, 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 you take for granted what you guys were going through to, to be on that show. Yeah, and I think that that was actually something that was really um, difficult about me watching the show this weekend because this was a difficult weekend in general. It was yeah. very emotional. It was it was a rough weekend emotionally. Um, but you know, we I I think it it's worth mentioning again like this show was filmed a year ago i've done so much since it like i you know i it, it was it's in the rearview mirror to me and it kind of came back and i had to sort of sit with all these emotions that kind of washed over me that um you know it just it just transported me back to that time and yeah. how i was feeling and um that was difficult yeah i know? can imagine <laughs> i can imagine watching it after it's edited after you not even seeing one like you know, day of filming and then all you go back and then the way they've edited it to make it look like a real TV show where there's no like all the things that you kind of went through the, the hardships and stuff like that behind the scenes, you don't get to see. It must have been kind of crazy. Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I think that the coolest thing, I, I mean, you know, because I, I feel like, you know, the episodes, I, I feel like my experience was pretty, um, like what I was watching felt pretty pretty accurate to my experience there um but then like the cool thing was to see the work that i didn't get to see um yeah. and and watch like like my like lou who's a, a dear friend um i really felt like i got to watch him have some really important artistic revelations on the yeah. show and i can already see how that has been applied to his work in the past year and that's just so fucking rad yeah. you know what i mean yeah um p.s and... p.s i think he got robbed at the end too sorry yeah <laughs> i think i think yeah. that's that shadow sculpture he did was like deserved a little bit more than it got but i'm like I... there's no spoiler alerts here i'm just yeah. telling you lou if you're listening to me man i was like that's some art school shit right there oh my god, god. bless you god yeah. bless you god bless you yeah i loved i i sent him a text right after i saw that and i was like dude that's one of my favorite pieces on the entire show like that was just such a brilliant nod to being an artist yeah. and i just loved it so much that i thought was a, it was phenomenal that was a tough one that was a tough one for me yeah. i must yeah. say now now here's now now we're going to get into it when did you realize that it was half being an art show and really being a fabrication show because it really I felt like because there were two hosts and one, two of them were totally different. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, Stephanie, now just to, Stephanie Hoffman 
was a very young welder. She was a very, as a young, a very young person, she had become, or I guess her father brought her to a sh her shop and she fell in love with welding. She got into welding and became like, I don't know if she was a union welder, but she was doing like certified, certified welding and she yeah. worked in shops and she dealt with a lot of hardships being a woman in, uh, in these, you know, certified shops, these certified welding shops. And Absolutely. she pushed through she pushed through extraordinarily, started her own play, served, served in the military, she started her own business, works with the American Welding Society. She's legit, a legit yeah. fabricator and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. it, was, it was hard for me to, 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 to judge whether or not it was an art show, an art show or a fabrication show. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think that that was something that was kind of a takeaway for me, and I think that that was it. It sort of answered a lot of questions that I was kind of like, I don't. I, I mean, I, I I was a little confused when I was there, and I, I think that other people were too. And I I, I think it was. I think the show um, <clears throat> never really picked a lane. You know what I right. mean? And um, and I think that I, it actually is kind of a really interesting metaphor to like what it's like existentially as a metal artist you yeah. know what i mean like yeah. do you, where do you identify yourself and what's more important and you know these questions that we ask ourselves all the time um and you see it sort of come through in the you know the some inconsistencies and some things that i'm just you know i'm not really sure where the priorities were and it, it, it was a little confusing in that way and i i felt like um yeah, I was sort of hoping that it would be a little bit more geared towards art because that was sort of my understanding of what it was going to be. And I felt like <clears throat> we know a lot about the trades and welding and um, metal fabrication. It's a huge industry. But um, what I don't think we know a lot about is metal art or, right. you know, not we, but the like the people in general. And I was really hoping that it would be an opportunity to show them um some of the complexities and difficulties of of the work and the get people excited and interested about it and i i hope that they are um i just felt like sometimes like the yeah there was just a little bit of confusing confusion about what um what it was supposed to be you know when i graduated college i was looking there was no real welding shows Except for uh, Orange County Choppers had a show. They were they, it was American Choppers, and they were doing welding every so often. And then Jesse James had Monster Garage, and they were doing welding every so often. So, I honestly didn't have any mechanical experience at all. But I just wanted to see people, you know, using a MIG welder and a TIG welder. Yeah. So I love that stuff. And then when Forge and Fire came out, I loved the fact that people were forging, and I loved the fact that um, people were showing blacksmithing, bladesmithing. I loved that. Actually, in the beginning, I didn't love that. In the beginning, I didn't love it at all. And then I, I grew to appreciate this show wasn't meant. F this uh, metal shop masters is not for metal workers. <laughs> metal shop masters is not for no. your steel sculptors. It's for the civilians. Yeah, who yeah, need exactly. who who like to see some sparks and to get interested, or maybe they've maybe welded once in a while and they like to see it. What what it brought me to is especially considering you know if you look at all the your your coworkers, <laughs> if you look at their body of work, including yours. 
It's very extraordinary. It's very high end. It's very. They've all done massive, you know, monuments and giant outdoor sculptures, and these are all very, very, very talented people. What happens is with all these shows, including Chopped, including Forge and Fire, including all these TV shows, you're 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 left at the at the business part of the production company. Time yeah. is the problem. And I was thinking about I, throughout the week. I was just trying to think about how, what, how, if I could change the show, how I would change it, or what would make it better, and stuff like that. And it always comes down to time. You know, you guys had ten hours to do this, or ten hours to do that, or you. They they didn't have the ability to send you know seven different crews to seven different shops and say all right you have a week to make this sculpture and then they film it all you know they're 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 down to how much budget they have for your you know the filming and everything else and and what happens is is because the time the time uh, amount they give you for everything welders are forced to do what's called what i used to call welding voodoo which is you just fucking stick it on and you don't give a shit about the weld. You're not really paying attention to your wire speed. Okay, maybe there's a little bit of it doesn't sound the way you know it's supposed to sound or maybe you're a little far away or maybe you're not you know, getting yourself in a position of holding your torch in the manner that you're going to get a cleaner cut. You're hauling ass, not worrying about the connections at all and you're, you're kind of slapping it together and you, you, you end up seeing what a lot of these guys were doing and it isn't uh, uh, it was a poor representation of how skilled they all are. You end up doing those first year art school welding projects. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think that um, that was sort of one of my takeaways was like, in a way, it's sort of the worst work we've all made. Right. You know what I mean? Because you're under like, and trust me when I say it was hard, you know, yeah. like I, I give... I just have so much respect and admiration for all the contestants and all their hard work yeah. because it was a really difficult job. And I felt that, you know, you if you ask a sculptor to make, you know, for instance, a sculpture, you know, about their favorite food, um, like you're going to get vastly different. It, that's hard enough. You know what I mean? And then you if you add all of these different challenges to that like oh and then it has to be you know it has to function and it has to do this it has to do that like that that makes it so much more complicated than it needs to be in yeah. some ways and i i really felt like they did themselves a disservice um by making the challenges too difficult and too restrictive in certain ways and um and i i felt like if you put um, three, for instance, I'm not going to give anything away, but if you put, if you, if you make artists make a sculpture with these three different elements that you're forcing them to use in their piece, and those three elements are ugly, how the, do you expect the, worst. the sculpture to look? The you know worst. what I mean? Like if you look at those three elements, they're not inherently attractive items. When you put them together, it's gonna get worse and worse. You All know right. what I Let's mean? Just, and we could spill the bean. They gave, they had to use a razor blade. They used to use a horseshoe and an old spoons. Spoons. It was it's bad. Three, three. That see now we're getting into interesting topics in terms of metal sculpture because there's two different things. And this is one of the things about you that 
I would imagine to you when you start to see these things, you probably had a hard time because there are some artists who do welding voodoo is you're knocking it out. You know, I don't care about the, you know that you're, you know, it's almost like when you learn how to weld the first time, it's like learning your first card trick that you can fool your friends with. Yeah. Because you really, they have no understanding of how you clean a grind or what's the BBs or what's the, why is the piece of MIG wire stuck there? You, they have no idea. When you first learn how to weld, it's the first magic card trick you've ever learned and you're fooling all your friends and you're just like, yo, I am a magician now. I'm fucking David Blaine. I know I'm going to fool all you motherfuckers now because this is the welding voodoo. Yeah. The problem is with, with a, what happens with a lot of metal artists is you can kind of go through two different lanes. You can do embrace the found objects. You can embrace mm -hmm. the junkyard shit and then weld them together. Or you can do what you do, which is completely transform it to the point where you're making the material your own. Ideally, yeah. yeah. Ideally, but no, but I mean, yeah. you don't see, I mean, when I look at your work, I'm not saying, oh, look, that was made out of a screw. You know, it's yeah. just like, yeah. you, you, you've, you've completely taken it, you, you're eliminating the, the previous vocabulary of what this is. That's why a lot of found object guys are the worst, because they're just like slapping stuff together, and it's like, okay, well, here we are, as opposed to someone who, like a blacksmith, or someone like you, who have completely taken away any previous connotations of what that material was, and it becomes a real issue. Yeah, I'm. I, I well, I, I mean, it, it was. I knew that that was going to be a challenge for me too because I knew that this was a purely fabrication show, right. and like I didn't have a full manifest of the amazing shop that the. I, by the way, the guy and the guy, his name is Matt. That basically like created this shop for us. He fucking spoiled us. Like that yeah. was an incredible setup, and yeah. like we had really nice tools to work with, and that was, that was actually really cool. But um. I knew that I didn't have a forge. I knew that like right. this thing that I had started doing um, and had become indispensable um, in my art practice and was the reason I was gaining speed in my sculptures, I didn't have access to that. Right. So I was like, wow, I'm going to have to go back to fully fabricating, you know, and I'm imagining it like, okay, so, you know, all the sculptures in my that I'm looking at right now, like are you know 250 hours plus right. you know and and that's what it takes to turn stock into a monster um so i yeah i mean i i think that that was just it was really i i, I really wanted to show people that i wanted to show people how i make what i do so that maybe less people will think that I cast my work or something. Yeah. I don't know. You know, like I really thought that that would be a great way to, to show people um, just what goes into one of these sculptures. But I think that um, it, it just wasn't possible in that time frame. You do know, you feel like, do you feel like you could have won that show? No, I mean, watching it, like knowing what the challenges were. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Um, I, yeah. It, Definitely not. And and even if they were more uh, on the art side and less on the, um, like, a little bit more fabrication and functional side, 
Ivan would have smoked my ass. <laughs> he is badass. Like he yeah, is. Which... And, and I, I really do think like, you know, I, I'm also in a position where I used to be a commercial fabricator and I used to have to hustle in art school for seven years, seven days a week, 12 hours a day, like hustling my ass off. But it's been a little while since I've done that. And I have the luxury of just going into my shop and doing what I do and taking my time. You know, I was competing against people that are hustling. They are doing their commercial job and their art on the side. So they're right. working their asses off and they know how to fucking hustle and they know how to move. And they're, and, and because they had to continue to work a, a separate job that's in the field, they're learning more and more and more. Whereas I kind of like split off and sort of stuck with what I know, you know, whereas when I was a commercial fabricator, that's how I learned so much about um, different techniques because I was forced to do things outside of my comfort zone. And, you know, like if a client wants a table, you have to learn how to build a fucking table. You know what right. I mean? Like, so now, you know, I feel a little atrophied as far as, well, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm trying to learn new things, but um, you know, these, these guys, they, they knew how to hustle. They really did. They were, they were incredible. You know, I, I was very impressed with everyone's good nature. That was one of the things. Yeah. And it started to really kind of, now that we've talked about it and like how you guys have all bonded, it made me think about how you could have, because the critiques from the judges were, I mean, peace and love, peace and love, peace and love. But I mean, yeah. it was like a lot of it didn't make a whole lot of sense. And, yeah. and, and what all I could think of is how, how would you have, how, uh, from a uh, from a TV show standpoint, and from like a learning standpoint, how would you've made it better? And it it brought me back to critiques that I used to be in art class. If they had instead of having the judges kind of pass this, you know, mediocre judgment, if they had the contestants do a real critique, where part of the judgment of the final piece was being able to talk about their direction and the decisions that they made. But then have the other contestants say, well, well, I'm looking at your direction and this made me feel like this or I didn't feel like this was successful because of this. And if you had a real critique where there were guidelines, you know, you don't be personal or, you know, and you would see this incredible growth from the first episode to the last because the previous critique would inform the contestants based on, okay, uh, you know, Ivan said that I, you know, I was too, my, my welds were making him not, they were, they were interfering with the vision that I was creating. I feel like you would not only create a real tension, but you'd also create a degree of learning from not only the, the, uh, the contestants, but the viewers. I mean, that's a, that's a fascinating concept. I had never really considered us critiquing, um, one another's work. And I, I mean, like also like I, I felt like the judges gave us really good critiques. Like, you know, a lot of that's clipped and edited, right. but like they spent time considering and looking at our work and how it applied to what they believed to be the rubric that we were supposed to be following, you know, right. like, and, um, unfortunately I don't really feel like that came through very much, but like, and I think that they were, I think that they were at a uh, disadvantage, the judges, um, because I think that there was a little bit of a, a lack of clarity about what the, how they were supposed to be judging, you know? Right. And I think that that yielded a little bit of like, it looked a little inconsistent. I don't know, but, um, yeah, that would have certainly been in, that would have been interesting. I mean, like, I do think that they were giving me feedback that was really, I mean, this was something that was really fascinating to me is like, 
the things that I was thinking I was doing <laughs> were like not making sense to this audience, you right. know, like, um, and, and I, and I think that it wasn't necessarily, uh, I mean, it was very on brand for me to, to get sent home for just being literally incapable of not doing anything normal. Come on, <laughs> come on, Leah. Come on, Leah. It's, it's not on brand. Stop oh it. My How gosh. dare you? It's not on brand. I mean, I'm, you know. I'm on brand, it's... we're getting thrown out. Come on, man. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, like, you you realize that, like, I, I mean, I, I think in a, to a certain extent, like, I'm allowed to, like, live in this fantasy land with my monsters and my shop, and, like, I haven't had to... Um, like meet someone's criteria in a really long time. You know what I mean? And I've kind <laughs> yeah. of, I feel like I've maybe floated a little far away into space and like, you know, I'm, I'm really wrapped up in like the psyche and, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily manifest into a literal interpretation of a rule, which is kind of what I think that they were looking for, yeah. you know? I guess I feel like, I personally feel I I'm very I'm much more conservative. The older I get, the more conservative I've gotten in terms of what art is. And I do believe that an artist owes it to the viewer to be able to discuss their direction, discuss the things that they've done and give a very coherent understanding of what they're doing. And yeah. I think that it's not about uh, I, and I've been hesitant to say whether or not it's good art or bad art, I just usually kind of head towards is the direction of the artist successful or not. And I think that if you're able to talk about your work, and I believe that if you're able to, like you could, like here's the thing, I, 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 it brings me back to like when I was in doing art critiques and I would have been like, I'm having problems because I don't understand uh, the problems I, I'm having with your division, I'm not talking you, I'm talking one, you know, yeah. as, a, as a metal <clears throat> artist, is I'm having a hard time seeing, not seeing tubing. I'm having a hard time where the welds aren't really a part of the vocabulary. And, and what's interesting is, is when I look at David Madera's work, he, he does stuff that I've done similarly, similarly in terms of, manipulating the material and having the well be part of the vocabulary. Yeah. When you look back at traditional, not traditional, when you look back at steel sculptors, I think of two people. I think of David Smith and I think of Alexander Calder, who both of them have a big part of that show. Mm -hmm. David Smith was one of the first found art, art found object artist and he would he was found making these kind of abstract sculptures with found objects and he was using uh, arc welding the weld was part of the sculpture too. Like you you couldn't you couldn't have the sculpture without the welding itself. And when I look at David's work I see how he ha he does a lot of MIG welding, and then he comes back with the oxyacetylene torch, and then it's almost like he's TIG welding the welds, and he's creating the puddle in the welds, so he's creating a new texture that's intrinsic to the sculpture itself. So then you're not just looking at a series of tack welds. You're not looking at something that's been ground down to zero. You're seeing a texture that's part of the direction of where the artist is going. I yeah. wanted him to talk about that. I wanted him to talk about. I wanted him to say, "Look, how where does where does the weld have a relationship to what your to the final outcome?" 
You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. That drove me crazy. That's Absolutely. freshman year art shit right there. That's JV freshman year day one. What, what is the what is the relationship between the weld and everything else? Yeah, I, I think that you're, it's so, it's kind of wild that you're saying, I mean, like, I, I felt the same way. I mean, that's what I love about David's work is yeah. that, like, the weld is important, you know? Right. And, like, I, I mean, it, you know, the welds are important in my work, too, but I, I bury them. I bury them, you know? See, and uh, I, I think that that says so much about a person's personality, too, you know? Not, but, well... I see a relationship between your work and his work in terms of you're conscious of these things. You're conscious of the vision and, and is the is the vis, is the is the uh, is the viewer supposed to just forget about parts or is it the whole piece? You know, and and I, the weld becomes a very important part of the conversation. Same thing with like the kerf from uh, plasma cutting out sheet steel. You yeah. know, part of that is, and, and I'm not casting aspersions on your coworkers because you only had a certain amount of time. You're not going to be grinding down, you know, for, for, for the rest of your life to try to grind these things down to nothing. I mean, you really were put in a position of not being able to finish the work the way you'd wanted them to be finished, which was just, that was the one thing that drove me a little bit crazy because yeah. I know that every single one of you would probably go back and say, is this the best thing I've ever made in my life? Of course not. Why? Because I didn't have enough time. So I had to like cut corners and the cutting the corners where maybe I'm turning on the wire speed up a little bit and there's a little bit more BBs than I wanted them to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, that was something that I found pretty painful because craftsmanship is extremely fucking important to me. Like that is, that is something your, that I find your MO. It, it's, it's the satisfaction I get out of building a sculpture. You know, it's what I love is to, you know, um, well, fabricate, to tell yeah. lies, tell lies with steel, you know, and, yeah. and to be able to kind of have people look at an overall sculpture and get so lost in the composition and what it is and, and you know, be less distracted by the material. And, and now I'm starting to contemplate, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I love so many artists that that allow the metal to be what it is and this goes back to like looking at pat's work too i mean like there's so many uh it's just really hard to explain this but like you know there's purity in some of it where it's just like you 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 recognize things and that's satisfying in and of itself and like i'm trying to think about what role that might play in my own work you know um and so i think that having had this experience was really important to ask myself those questions, you know? I know exactly what you're talking about because with a lot of blacksmiths, you're having these visual artifacts that represent the movement of the material. Like yeah. if you look at a lot of his hammers, you see how the the cheeks are spread and you are you're allowed to see you're allowed to it's not look like it doesn't some some of his work looks like it been, you know, cast. But you're with a lot of blacksmithing, you're allowed to see the artifacts of the movement. You know, the, yeah. you're allowing the wrinkles to happen. You're allowing the things to happen. And that's the purity of the of the of the uh, execution of the work. I like that. I think here's my opinion about that show. I'm happy that it's there. And I really I tell you what, first episode, I almost threw this computer through the window because <laughs> I you it was a roller coaster. You shouldn't have been put in that position. PS. And number two is 
fucking favorite moment of the show was you coming through with the heat and coming through with the heat. I, that's all I'm going to say. You were, you, I was like screaming and hollering. This is bullshit. I'm getting messages from this fucking guy. Chris Zepp and I are talking. How do, they, how do these people not know the rules? What the hell is going on? We're all cheering for you. We were all cheering for you. <laughs> and it was like, it was so fun for me. But as if, if I didn't know who you were and I didn't have the experience I had, I appreciate the show because... It, 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 the first episode did a really, the first episode did a decent job explaining MIG welding, TIG welding, plasma cutting. I wish they did that every single episode to, and to educate the, educate the viewer. But I was super happy to see people welding. I really, that's the first show where there was like, it was dedicated to welding with very talented people. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think that, it was also real. I mean, you know, I, I've been moving through my career and my life seeing metal sculpture as uh, a singular thing inside. Like, I mean, I, you know, I have my own experience and what it means to me and to be in a room building with six other artists that have their own idea of what that is, is like, it's fascinating. And I yeah. think that it's really, I hope that that inspires people. And, you know, I, I although I, I wish that it was a, a little bit more informative about like, what, why, what makes me so different from this person or that person? And, and why is it fascinating that that guy's doing that as opposed to that? Like, I, I wish there was a little bit more information like that, where um, we were sort of being analyzed. Yeah. Um, and, and I didn't see that. And I thought that that would have been really helpful context for civilians because the show is for civilians yeah um but you know i i i guess there's there's definitely room for improvement and you know maybe they heed some of this if they decide to have another season you know all right lee arapach is the producer of metal shop of masters i'm giving you 20 million dollars to make this show the way you think it should be how do you change it? Um, I think the challenges are a really good place to start. Like, and I, I think that um, if you want to, if you pick seven people because of who they are and what their art looks like, you should let them do their art, right. you know? Um, because if you all of a sudden get them into a room and you start trying to put them all in a box it's just not going to work, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, um, and I think that, that there would have been, I mean, I, I sincerely hope people look at the show and then go look at everyone's Instagrams. Cause you know, I, I really do feel like it, it was unfortunate that it, we almost had to make lesser versions of the work we actually make in right. our shops, you know, and, yeah. and that's, you know, it's a game and it's a competition and that's part of it. You know, it's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to be challenging. Um, but I don't think it needed to be that challenging. I mean, it's hard enough to be a metal sculptor. Like, you don't, it doesn't need to have 15 different constraints on top of it as well, you yeah. know? Um, and so I, uh, I would, I would do that. I would change the, I would, I would make the challenges a bit more, um, open and vague and, um, what do you I mean would, more open and vague? Um, well, just more open to interpretation. Like here's a theme build something fabulous, you know, and, right. and not like, oh, it needs to do 15 different things as well. Like, 
I'm not, you know, not, none of us are, we're particularly keen on the, uh, the amount of functionality that needed to be in these pieces because, I mean, I think we're trying to get out of being pigeonholed as uh, people that are mechanical and, you know, I, I felt like they fell, fell into a few tropes about metal fabricators. Like, we don't, we're not all building barbecues. You know what I mean? Like, that's not, <laughs> that we don't do that. That's not, that's not what any of those artists do, yeah. you know? Um, and so, when you put, like, metal, metal sculptors are not in it for the money or the titles or... You know, like we're just lone wolves that like to do what we do. And and if you take the passion and joy out of a process for someone, I just don't think you're going to get good results. You yeah. know, like I, I don't like being told what to do. And that was something that I was like, this is going to I don't even know why I'm doing the show. Like, I, you know, I, I but uh, I do like to be challenged and, and puzzles are and problems are, are fun to solve for me, too. So, you know, it's like it's a there's definitely a balance there. But I felt like they were a little restrictive um, for given given how you're dealing with seven artists, you know. See, I like I loved art classes because I liked an assignment and it but there weren't like a million, you know, million different little caveats. But there were very specific assignments, and I did like that, and it actually influenced the work that I've done. If it wasn't for those art classes where I had to take something small and make it big, I'd never make these giant fishing lures. And that was where that came yeah. from. I think that, personally, I wish there was a third judge who was an art teacher who could, <laughs> talk, about, who could talk about art. I'll tell you one thing that drove me crazy, and peace and love, peace and love to... Metal shop masters, but some of you motherfuckers need to know about about fucking Calder, Alexander Calder, a mobile. He created the concept. It wasn't just yeah. that he uh, he the con the name and the word and the concept was created by him. He took art out of he created a genre of art. The mobile, and it isn't just about fucking hanging. It's about the relationship all the parts have to each other. Yeah. So it's like these, it's counterbalances and weights. It's not just something that's just hung. That was the one thing that was just like, yo, motherfuckers better learn. It's not just something you hang yeah. over your baby to go, of your baby in the crib to go to sleep. Those, <gasps> those motherfuckers stole it from the, from the, from the, uh, from the, the Calder family too. They're calling them mobiles. They should be suing their motherfucking asses. Yeah, I mean, I also think like I think someone got criticized for like their, the, like, the, like making a mobile basically, <laughs> like, like the you know being tr faithful to the concept of you know um, this has to be this far away to like the balance. Like, I, for me, when I think of a mobile, I think of balance, and I think yeah. of this this conversation between the different elements. Right. It's not just hang. Yeah, like a hanging decorative yeah. thing. Yeah. You know, it's not a chandelier. It's it's yeah. it's a it's a it has a relationship to itself and its parts and there's count. All right, guys, I know you're not listening, metal shop masters. Don't call me. Don't I don't want. To, don't worry about me. Don't worry about this is fine. <laughs> I understand. You, listen, I'm for this show. I'm for what you guys have done. I think that it's great. Um, I would have. I would go with having someone with an art degree. I also would. If you want to get people to. If you want to get people interacting without making the the judges have to do all the critiquing teach these people how to critique and then all of a sudden now you're going to see growth 
You're yeah. going to see the growth. That's going to be the best yeah. part. Like you're going to have, you're going to allow people to learn how to talk about art. You're going to, you're going to, your viewers are going to all of a sudden start to say, Hey, now I can understand how you talk about art. I can go into a, into a gallery now and say, and, and like discuss a piece and whether or not it's successful or not. Not that just, you know, one of the judges said that's rad. I mean, that's just, I mean, you go to art school day one shit. If you say I did it cause it's cool. They're going to throw you out or they're going to yeah. give you a bad grade. You have to be able to learn how to discuss things in a way that is easy to approach. And you don't have to use big words like juxtaposition. You say that a couple times and then that's it. You don't have to say it every five minutes. You just say it, the big words a couple times, you get it out of your system and then you just <laughs> break it down and be simple. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, the, I think that that also harkens back to like, you're you're they really probably did need somebody a little bit more yeah i mean an art director of a a sculpture department would have been a great like or advisor on something. something yeah because you know i think that there were some pitfalls that we fell into here that were just kind of like you know if we're if we're looking for literal interpretations of stuff like that's something we're fucking trained against in art right. school like we we're told right. not to do that yeah. so it's like you know when when I, <laughs> When you get when you get there and you're not like literally jumping through the hoop like that that's not what artists do we're we're, we're we break the hoops like that's that's the point and so it's like you know it was a little challenging because it did make it a little confusing you know yeah well I mean I, the but the most important part is is the artist should be able to exp express the decisions that they made and yeah. that's what's going to make it a good show because all of a sudden you say this was my direction and then you know the other person says well i see that but maybe but i'm having a hard time seeing this vision when i see these lines aren't correct or you're using this you could have used this and i think it would have been more successful and then you would have had some learning but then all of a sudden you would have had some little tension. that's where you get the tension i have yeah. one tension story i well, my when i was in art when i was in school i was in an art class with my girlfriend and we were breaking up and there was a critique <laughs> and there was a critique that we had where oh. she, she it got personal she let me have it and i may or may not have deserved it but it was just like getting uncomfortable it was an uncomfortable oh. critique and i was all my personal uh flaws were being uh thrown at this poor sculpture that didn't deserve it and yeah. then they turned to me for a response and i said oh it's a, you know everyone's got it you know opinions are like assholes and everyone's got one <laughs> you know, so it was a very, very, it was, it made everything worse. It was one of those yeah. things. Where it was, but I mean, all of a sudden now you get spicy, you know, now you have a show that's a little bit more spicy, you know, cause then you, you didn't like what, the, then you could go back and forth and then there, it, you could edit it down to kind of being more interesting. Yeah. And I, I mean, like you, you raise a good point too, about like, you know, if, if all, I think you're doing, you're, you're not like really showing the, well, I'll just say like, if you're showing mostly the end result, and like some sparks fly and you're not really getting into the mind of the artist and why they're doing m making the decisions that they are and how they're pivoting and how they're trying to be creative around the challenge like you're not going to fully understand why they do the things that they do and you're not going to understand if they're successful in what they like set out to do right. you know um and i i felt like the critiques i had with the judges were helpful um in in inspiring some inner dialogue about um when was the last time i contemplated whether i was actually communicating successfully with the world you know hmm. and i felt like 
that was something that I really probably, I mean, yeah, you should definitely be asking yourself that as an artist. And is this, you know, not that I'm here to educate and make people uh, like to evoke things out of people necessarily by seeing my work, but, you know, as an artist, you're trying to connect with people. And so I think it's pretty important to um, contemplate whether you're, whether you're being successful in doing that, you know? But critique is group therapy. Critique is analysis. Yeah. Critique is getting yourself into positions that you might not necessarily want to be in, being told by people you might necessarily not want to be told. And it becomes a far more interesting topic of conversation because you have uh, you have criticism from people that you do appreciate and that you don't appreciate and you have to figure out which ones are the worth it and it becomes this weird self analysis you know i just think that i i i didn't i wanted when i was watching the show i was texting you with obscenities i was mad, i was mad i was mad you were not certain, alone i was not i'm sure you were getting a lot of uh -huh. I, i'm sure the obscenities were coming through on your yeah. phone because everyone was pulling for you and it, you know what yeah. i wanted to beat the shit out of the show and it, but it took me a few days past watching it all to decide that it's very like forge and fire these shows are important because i believe that the maker community will become something far more interesting to civilians yeah you know yeah yeah and i think that um you know you're you're in the same boat as i am because i'm i'm coming from it as leah and you guys are all coming from it backing me so you're gonna see this show through the eyes of wanting me to win right you know of course and um i think that it's important to understand that there's six other contestants that have the same expectation or desire right. and they have tons of people behind them too. And so people are going to have different interpretations about the show. They're going to have different responses about the show. And, uh, well, I mean, I just hope that people realize, you know, that this is a reality TV show and it's edited and there's, um, a lot going on that they don't see and you know the the reality is that like we all really get along with each other and I think that um, it, it, it is it's peace and love you know yeah I will say that the final sculptures were pretty fucking cool Those yeah were pretty fucking cool I'm not gonna say anything else but it was very impressive yeah, the, the, it was very impressive based on how much time they had and what they had to do. Oh my god, these guys yeah. are fucking. Yeah. These people in this show are impressive. They're impressive. Yeah, they're beasts. And yeah, I mean, like I, you know, Tom, I, he like as a fabricate, like that that dude has straight up worked on race cars. You know, like he's been in the pit, and so uh, you know he has this skill set for. Um, like he can just work under pressure and right. he can deliver because it was life or death when he right. had that job. You know, like we, we came to it with so many different skill sets and you can kind of see those shine. And it was just really cool to see, you know, where everyone's experience sort of landed them in the situation. And uh, I hope that's a takeaway for people. I hope that they enjoy sort of seeing everyone's different skill sets sort of come through you know so ultimately to wrap up the show it was a good experience 
Yeah. When you think about it, when you think about the whole thing, I and mean, there's some part about it even sucks, but I know, of course, but what do you think? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, I, 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 if I look back at it, like, knowing what I know now, I'm not sure I could say I'd do it again because I felt like I was a really bad fit for the show. But yeah. even that's a really interesting, that's, that's an important lesson to learn, too, that, like, being a bad fit, I, th- I think this is something that I'm kind of... Um, just learning now as an, as a 34 year old, like you're, I am not inherently a crowd pleaser, you know, and I don't want to be, I want to be a game changer. I want to, I want to, I want to be strange. I want to, I want to let my inner self come out. And so, you know, you're, you're gonna, you're gonna be magnetized towards certain things and repelled from others. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you're rejected or people don't like you. Like good fits are good fits and bad fits are totally fine and acceptable. And like, I think that you just kind of learn, you know, in those experiences, uh, what you may or may not want to do in the future as far as participating in things or, you know, I I don't know, you know, I, I think it was a good experience. I think that it's really hard to put yourself out there in that way. And if you do, and if you fail, um, and you think that's going to destroy you and it doesn't, that is a gift. You get to learn your own strength. And I think that, um, I, I just, I, I think it was a lot of personal revelations for me and I was really hoping to grow more as an artist, but I, I, you know, it is what it is, but, um, I learned a lot about, myself and I don't I'm not as fragile as I once thought I was you know and I I think that that was my big takeaway from the show and I think that that was a really um I think that was a really it was a gift for me to have been able to learn that about myself at such a young age you know ain't gonna get much better than that yeah (laughs) ain't gonna get much better than that Leah Arapach you're the best you You're are our hero. You are our hero. You are the full blast podcast hero. You're our champion. We've been rooting for you from day one. I know it. And, and you know, I think that that's something like I am. I am so fortunate to be a part of such an amazing community. And like all of the enthusiasm and support and encouragement has been just getting me through and and not just getting me through but it's a joy that i get to experience you guys are the fucking best and um i appreciate each and every one of you and i appreciate the people that have reached out and i'm just um well i'm really fucking excited to meet a lot of you at makers camp soon (laughs) yes you're gonna be now you're not allowed to cry because i already have i got a lot of messages about making jimmy duresta cry everyone was mad at me for making jimmy duresta cry last episode and i have to address that i apologize i'm really not kidding i really i'm not i'm I'm kidding i didn't make him cry um but listen you're the best you're the greatest and we're gonna see at maker camp i can't wait a couple little pieces of business to take care of number one thank you Leah, yeah. for being here. You're always welcome. You have an open door policy with me. Anytime you want to come on, just bullshit. You got the number. Anytime you want to come on, I love to have you on. I, I, I Some of these people, some of our listeners are just like, oh, they're going to talk about art all day. Well, that's just the way it is. <laughs> go, let's go, go back oh. and listen to somebody else. I mean, this is, I got to, you know, come on, man. I'm trying to do something that I want to do here. <laughs> that has nothing to do with you, to be honest with you. So, Leah Arapach, guys, go follow Leah on Instagram. You already do. 
you should keep doing it and and root for her because she is really really talented i have to thank you once again for sending us that belt buckle my wife loves it oh we yeah. have it hung up in the living room and i'm still i'm gonna i'm gonna take care of you and frank i got something for you guys uh, don't worry Get i ain't gonna here. forget i ain't forgetting don't worry about that uh, a little bit of business, guys. Uh, I just wanted to thank you for the overwhelming messages I received in regards to the last episode with Jimmy DeResta. It came on 9-11, and it was, I got so many heartfelt messages uh, in regards to him and, 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 and the things that he said. But also, I got a lot of messages from people telling me their stories from 9-11, and it was very... Uh, I got goosebumps now just talking about it. Um, it, was, it was very heartfelt, and I read every single one. I really appreciate all the, you know, kind words in regards to that day. And, and it, it, one of the things I forgot to say was, you know, I was talking to a couple of buddies of mine who were there with us during 9-11, and we, we, without the fire department, without the police department, first responders, we would have been lost thousands and thousands and thousands more and we are huge uh we can't thank and think about the first responders emts uh, the fire department police department and the city of new york and the fire departments from all over the country who were just extraordinary what you guys do is amazing i just wanted to just put that out there the second piece of news is i got to do a retraction I never do this. I never do a retraction. If you if you if you're a Howard Stern listener, you'd know this is a traction, not a retraction, but that's a that's a little inside. I said at the Jimmy Durest interview that the hammers that were that his goofy friend took and smashed together were made by Cliff Dufton. I was wrong. They were both made by John Ariani, Sunset Forge. He made those hammers that were getting abused. And I want to apologize 100% to my friend John Ariani. I hope you forgive me. I made a mistake. Okay, guys. That was a lot of fun. Did you have fun, Leah? Yeah, I had a great time. Very good. Well, listen, guys. Once again, thanks for everything. Go get yourself some Axe Wax. Go get yourself a new website. Go follow Leah. And go watch the Netflix show. Go support those other artists. All those other artists are on Instagram. Go give them a follow. Some of them got some low numbers. We got to bump their numbers up. They're worth it. They're, this is a good thing. Go get yourself that Netflix and watch the show. Because if it's good and they get a lot of response, then they're going to keep doing it. And it will grow as a show and will get better and will meet your expectations. Next week, it's a surprise. That's the way it is. I'm with you, everybody. Leah, thank you once again. Thank you for having me, Jeff. It was fun. You're the best. The Full Blast Podcast is proudly sponsored by Axe Wax, an all-natural, food-safe wax for coating your handles. It can be used on your axes, your knives, or even on your boots with the full confidence that Axe Wax is safe and durable. Furthermore, if you use the promo code FULLBLAST10, you will get a special 10% discount on your order. So go to axewax.us and get yourself some of the most luxurious wax for waxing your axe. If you like this show, take a look at our other shows made for makers just like you at www.makery.network.